0: If you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 14, last time we were in Mark's gospel, we, we saw Jesus, the man on a mission. Jesus, the one who was on his way to the cross. Jesus submitted to the will of his father. Led like a lamb to the slaughter silent before the chief priests, but on his mission, on his mission, going going to fight for our freedom, for our, to win the battle over death. And from Jesus, the man on a mission, today we're turning to see from that man on a mission to look at Peter's painful failure. In a moment, I'm going to read from the a couple of verses Mark fourteen, fifty three and fifty four, and then carry on in verse sixty six, but I'm just gonna pray. Father God, as we look at these verses as we see Peter in the courtyard. Lord, would you speak to us today? Lord would you would you open our hearts? Lord, that as we look at Peter's failure, we see your wonderful grace. Lord, we see the stark reality of sin, but we see the wonder of your victory. And would you deal with us this morning, Lord, as we look at this together? Amen. So, Mark 14, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest And all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and he warmed himself at the fire. Then turn to verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around him, This fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them. for for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the cock crowed the second time and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. What we see is a a horrible moment for Peter. We see the build-up through Mark chapter 14. We've seen through Mark 14, they've been in the upper room at the Last Supper as we now know it. Jesus sharing this Passover meal with his disciples, talking to them of, one of you is going to betray me. And then Judas goes out. We see from there they move on out to the Mount of Olives. And on their way we see this uh, discussion going on in verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And you see Jesus, Jesus predicts, look, you're all going to fall. You're all going to run. But of course, Peter pipes up. Verse 29, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. But Jesus goes on, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight. Before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter carries on. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. We see this interchange. Jesus predict, look, you're all going to fall. And they're all, and particularly Peter is adamant, no, even if they all fall, I'm not going to. I'll come with you right to death, Jesus. And they move on into the garden. Jesus takes Peter, James and John along with him a bit further. And of course we know as as Jesus prays, they fall asleep. And as he comes back to them, he says these things in verse 37. Simon, he said to Peter, addresses Peter directly, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? He says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see this build-up of the story coming. Jesus has said, you're all going to fall away. Peter's, Adam and I'm not going to fall away. We see in the garden, Jesus is praying. Jesus is seeking his father. Peter, James and John are asleep. Then as we looked at, last time we were in Mark's gospel that Judas and the crowd turn up and then as Jesus had said they all run they all run and then perhaps to his credit Peter then follows at a distance he's run away but he's he's kind of keeping track he's seeing look for Jesus is being taken I'm going to follow and see what happens at a distance John tells us there's someone else with him, another disciple. But when Peter gets into the courtyard, he's gone all that way. Then we see disaster strikes. As Peter denies Jesus, just as Jesus predicted. We see the situation, it's a confusing time, it's a scary time. We don't play any of it down. This is tough. This is Jesus, the one who they believed to be the Messiah, who they thought was going to lead them into seeing the kingdom restored in the way they were thinking. They didn't think this was part of the plan. Now he's arrested. What is going on? What is happening? And in this moment, In the panic, in this fearful moment, we see Peter utterly fail. In this moment of just pure fear. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. Don't put me in the same category as him. Don't put me anywhere near him. I don't know him. But let's look, let's see, who is this? This is, is this Peter who we're talking about. Peter, the man who left everything to follow Jesus. We see back in Mark chapter 1. Jesus calls him and calls the first disciples. In Mark chapter 1 verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, as Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Left everything to go after Jesus. He'd heard him teach and seen him do incredible miracles. Peter was there when Jesus turned water into wine. When, when Jesus said, right, Here's these five loaves and fish. You go and feed everyone. And he'd seen it multiply miraculously. He'd seen Jesus heal person after person after person. He'd been there when Jairus' daughter was raised to life. When Lazarus was called out of the tomb. See, this, it was this Peter who'd been the one who'd got out of the boat. As Jesus came walking on the water, it was Peter who said, if it's you, Lord, I can come out to you. And yes, after a while, he saw the waves and got afraid, but Peter was walking on water. Peter had seen the glory of Jesus transfigured up on the mountain, In Mark chapter 9. And Peter also, in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, is the one who recognized this is who Jesus is. Jesus had asked them, Who do people say I am? And then in verse 29, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answers, You are the Messiah. This Peter, who's suddenly in the courtyard, when he gets to it, in the courtyard, he'd been following Jesus for three years, he'd been seeing all of this, he'd done, he, Jesus had sent him out and they'd done all sorts of amazing things, and yet in the courtyard, three times, I don't know this man you're talking about. We see Peter facing a growing problem, a lie that is stated once and just grows. It's gone from, even if I have to die with you, in the space of, in our biblical text, a few verses. Now, in the fear and the confusion, I don't know him. I don't know him. And as we look at this, we have to recognize the seriousness of it. We see what Peter has done. He's denied his saviour. He's denied Jesus, his friend, his teacher, his lord and his king. And Peter understands as he breaks down and he weeps. But today as we look at Peter's failure in the courtyards, I want to draw out three things that we can see for us. And firstly, as we look at, at Peter in the courtyards, firstly, we're drawn to recognise our weakness. We're drawn to see, as people, we cannot do it alone. We see our need of Jesus we see our need as we look at peter failing in the courtyard we see that we we are weak flesh and we recognize as well as we look at that the battle that we are in you see in verse 20 Nine, we see Peter boldly, even proudly declaring, even if all fall away, I will not. It sounds so good. It sounds so full of faith. So so strong. But yet when temptation comes, when the opposition is confronting him, when the uncomfortable questions come, when the, this dark moment in the courtyard comes reality strikes. As we look at Peter, we need to recognise our own weakness and our need of Jesus in order to stand firm in the time of trial. We recognise what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about putting on the armor of God. But initially, what he's, what he's saying in leading into that in verse, chapter 6, verse 10 finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to tell us, therefore put on the full armor of God. Therefore put on those things which God has given us. Those th- Get stuck into the word. Pray. All these different things. But recognize that we're in a battle. It's so easy, like Peter, to make the bold claim. It's so easy for us to think, oh, I've got this covered. I can do this. It's not a problem for me. It's so easy in, every, in, in different aspects of our lives, in different aspects of how we're serving God, in different aspects that we find ourselves in, to come to a place of thinking, I know what I'm doing now. I know what I'm doing. Let it never come to a place where for me, that I get up here with the Bible open and think, I know what I'm doing. I've got it covered. I can preach this. I can bring the right truth. And we're always in need of him. As Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, draws our attention. He brings the stark warning in chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. He goes on to tell us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out of it so that you can endure it. But that warning, if you think you're standing strong, be careful. Let us never get to a place of complacency or pride that thinks, I know what I'm doing. I've got it sorted. That's never going to be a problem for me. Even if all fall away, that's not going to be a problem for me. So key, this issue of pride... Because it's so easy for us to drift into a a life of self-reliance. Particularly if we're not recognizing that we are constantly in a battle. Because the truth is, we need God at every step, at every turn, in every area of life. As we go out from here, not just making claims while we're all together. This is what I'm going to do. Or constantly appearing okay. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm all right. Like Peter, declaring in the group, no, I'm going to stand firm. But then as we go out into our, our lives at work or at school or wherever it may be, in our, in our marriages, in parenting our children, in, at university, at any place where we are, in any conversation we come into, as we face all sorts of areas of temptation, and as we go into all the things that God has called us to do, let us be so aware of our weakness and our need of God. It's so easy to make the bold claim, but also we must recognize our weakness. But at the same time, we don't just see, I can't do it on my own as, okay, well then I'm bound to fail. If we go back to that that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, what does it say? In verse 13. As he said, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. But then he tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. But then what? God is faithful. One, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But then, when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And this first position of looking at Peter and, and in seeing Peter's failure we recognise our own weakness yet at the same time we recognise his work in us. We recognise his work in us so that it's not either I can do it on my own I know what I'm doing but neither is it man, there's no way I could ever do it. No, in his strength, in his power When we face temptation, he enables us to endure. He gives us a way out in his strength, by his spirit. As Peter himself would go on to write, in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is revealing, look, this is what God has done. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. As Peter writes, he has given us. God has given us everything we need in his power, in, through what he has given, through what he is doing in us. So that we don't slip into prideful boasting of, I've got it sorted. But in his strength, we stand firm in his power. And of course, we can also look forward from here. We see Peter in the courtyard. But from our viewpoint, we can look forward and see, actually, that wasn't the last place for Peter. We see Peter on the day of Pentecost, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not then denying his Lord, but proclaiming him. Proclaiming him in front of the crowd. In front of the crowd. Look, this is the Jesus who was crucified Believe him, trust him. As Jesus tells them in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. We need his Holy Spirit. We need to humble ourselves, put off our pride and come to him, Lord, I need you and I need your spirit. I need to go on being filled with your spirit day by day by day. As Paul says, instructs us in Ephesians 5 verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we may stand firm when, when trouble comes, when trial comes, when temptation comes, when we find ourselves, maybe not in that courtyard, but we find ourselves in a position, I've got to make a choice, I've got to stand my ground for Jesus. Holy oh, Jesus, I need you right now. So we're we're drawn to recognize our weakness. Secondly, we're reminded of the power of prayer. In the build-up, we see Jesus' command in the garden. Mark 14, verse 37. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You see, Jesus is well aware of the battle and the struggle that they're, they're in and that is coming. Jesus knows what's coming. That's why he is praying. He knows the importance of prayer, of getting before the Father. And of coming before him and asking him, Father, I need you. What is your will? Father, help me in this situation back to Ephesians chapter 6. We saw it's talking about Paul is encouraging them to put on, to recognize the battle they're in, to put on the full armor of God, to stand firm so that they might stand firm. But as it goes on, he tells them put on the full armor of God and talks about putting uh, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and so on. But then in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit, in all occasions, and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Then he says, pray also for me. And then goes on to say, whenever I speak, so that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You see, Paul's encouragement to them, look, this is the battle we're in. We're not battling against flesh and blood, but against all the powers and authorities in the spiritual realms. And so therefore, so that you might stand, put on the armour of God and pray in the Spirit in all occasions. And we see Jesus' demonstration of this. obviously, in the garden, we see him guessing before his father. Look." And yes, he brings a very definite request in that time, but he is seeking his father's will. But we see throughout his time uh, on earth, Jesus making it a point of getting away to pray. He's making a point of seeing the importance of prayer. So we see it back in Mark chapter 1, right at the beginning, but in verse 35. It's Joseph Mawila, when he was here, drew on this passage. We've seen stuff has been happening, things have been going on, and then in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He's getting away before his father. Again, in... Chapter 6 and verse 46. We see a similar thing. In verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. This is just after the feeding of the 5,000, so he dismisses the crowd. And then after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus made a point of getting before his Father praying, of seeking the will of the father, of praying for his strength. And uh, he saw the importance of it. So important. That's why he commands Peter and the others, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. They've got an opportunity here, an opportunity. Get before your father I know what's coming. These next moments are going to be so hard. So come and pray. Come and pray. James also encourages us. James chapter 5. Verse 13, just talking about this whole thing in all circumstances. In verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And then he says this, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James is drawing our attention. Look, come. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, then praise God. If you're ill, come and pray. Come Call on the elders, get them to pray. In every circumstance, let's get before our Father and pray. And James gives us the example of Elijah, as as Dan was showing us last week, talking about Elijah. But we see James refers to him, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James is drawing our attention. Look, Elijah was just a man and yet when he prayed, look what God did. Look what God did. As we look look at Peter and see, Jesus was saying, come, come on Peter, come pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I want to catch some more of that sense of fervently praying of coming before God persistently unceasingly and for us to be a people who all the more so are doing that coming before God because it's so easy just like Peter and the others did in the garden to go to sleep maybe literally maybe metaphorically just i just need to rest i just need some time to relax I just need to switch off rather than I need to get before my father and pray. I need to come and pray. Not saying that rest or relaxation or sleep are wrong things, but yet so often I know in my life rest, relaxation and sleep can just be another word for I'm being lazy and I don't want to come and pray. I don't want that to be the case. I don't want that to be the case for any of us. But that we would get hold of the importance of coming before our Father in prayer. Yes, so that, as Jesus says, so that we don't fall into temptation. But as we've seen from these other passages, it applies more widely than that as well. That in every circumstance, as James has kind of alluded to. And as Ephesians 6 tells us, let's pray for all the Lord's people. It goes so far beyond and yet to come and pray can feel so hard. But again we see Jesus. What does he instruct us to do? Matthew six, verse nine. Because it can be hard. We're battling battling against our our kind of human desires. Oh, I just want to relax. I just want to. I don't, I don't want to come and work hard and come before the Father. Because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to come and say. But then let's come back to what Jesus taught. Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. And he goes on to. To bring us what we would now refer to as the Lord's Prayer. I would encourage us to recognise what a helpful pattern it is. That so often it can just become a either something that is just said by rote and becomes a tradition and becomes seemingly becomes very dead and not and with yeah, well lifeless. Or we go the other way and just reject it completely because it's become that. No, this is what Jesus taught. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we come before him, let's come before our Father. Praise him for who he is. Recognize who he is as our Father. Recognize the wonderer there is that we can call him Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done let we come. let's pray. Let's pray to see, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let us see it in this city, in our lives, in this nation. Pray back the promises of God to him. Lord, this is what you have said you will do. You said you would do it. Keep coming persistently. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. When are we going to see this? If we're stirred to see revival, to see God break out in power on churches and across this land, then let's come, let's pray. Your kingdom come, Lord. Let's get hold of seeing God's will being done. Give us our day, give us today our daily bread. God, you're our provider. God, you give us everything we need. Lord, provide for me again today as I, what I need physically, what I need as I'm standing in this place of temptation or of whatever, wherever I am, where I'm going to face opposition, whatever it may be that I'm doing. Lord, would you provide for me today? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh Lord, yeah, I want to come and confess I've got it wrong. I've messed up again, Lord, would you forgive me? And Lord, would you as he said in the garden, pray that you would <laughs> that you've not been led into temptation. You would stand against temptation. As he instructs here, he is not into temptation. Lord, would you bring protection? Would you help me? Would you give me a way out as it says in your words? As we look at Peter's example, as we see as they slept in the garden and as Peter then falls in the courtyard. Jesus' clear instruction to us and encouragement Come and pray. Pray, seek me, seek your Father in heaven. And there's a measure for us to, there's an invitation to us and a command to us to drop our pride and to ask. As pride comes and causes us to rely on ourselves, to think we can do it ourselves and to give the answer, yeah, I'm doing fine but it holds us back from asking our father and asking our brothers and sisters for help and from being honest with one another. Okay, so we're drawn to recognise our weaknesses. We're reminded of the power of prayer. But in the courtyard and then beyond, we are again amazed by the grace of God. We are amazed by the grace of God because this is not the end of peter's story peter in the courtyard it's a serious moment it's a horrible moment we recognize so clearly from seeing peter just the the weight of sin and the 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 horror of sin There's no sense of sweeping it away. Oh, it didn't really matter, Peter. It didn't really matter. There's no casualness about it. And yet we see the wonder of the grace of God as we turn to John chapter 21. And John chapter 21 and verse 15. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has come back and he's met his disciples on a beach. He's just had breakfast with them. He's given them another miraculous catch of fish. Then, in verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. We see the grace of God as Jesus three times asks Peter, do you love me? And as Peter replies, Jesus three times commands him, Peter, go and feed my sheep. Peter, I've got work for you to do. Peter, let's go. As Peter three times in the courtyard said, I do not know him. Yet on the beach, Jesus calls to Peter, Peter, we're going on together. I've got work for you to do. I've got work for you to do. Do you love me, Peter? Come, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. There's no sense of, oh, Peter, it didn't matter. You see Peter in the courtyard breaking down and weeping at the horror of what he has done. And yet we see the wonder of the grace of God that reinstates him and says, look, Peter, we've got work to do. Let's go. The wonderful words in 1 John, chapter 1. One John one verse five. Talks of talks of this. Is this what I'm looking for? I don't think it is. Perhaps it's not one John chapter one verse five. Let's move on. We see we do see Peter's sin. And we see his wonderful restoration so that he, there in the courtyard, we are struck. We are so struck, yes, by the, the horror of sin, but by the wonder of the grace that says, Peter, go and feed my sheep. Romans 8, verse 1. I know this one's right. I know I've put, written down the right reference. Romans 8 and verse 1. The wonderful truth. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Because you see, Peter claimed, even if I have to die with you, you see, the reality is, as Peter was breaking that promise in the courtyard, Jesus was on his way to die for him and for us. Wasn't the Peter's bold claim that, no, I can do it, I'll come and I will die with you? No, the truth is... Jesus was going to come, Jesus was going to the cross so that he could die for Peter, that he could die for us. That therefore there would be now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, as Peter fails in the courtyard, Jesus' work on the cross brings restoration. The verse I was looking for in 1 John talks about the truth that if we confess our sins, he is holy and just. To forgive us. There's restoration for us today. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Tim brought that wonderful word at the beginning. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And yet that lie comes in. Why me? Why me? Why would it follow me? Why? Because of Jesus. Because he has made a way for us to come in. So that yes, now in Christ, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Because God did not withhold his son. Therefore now he will not withhold any good gift. In closing, as we look at Peter in the courtyard, we're confronted with the with the truth of our our inability to do it on our own, of of the horror of sin, but of the wonder of the grace of God. I'm going to pray. Let's pray, and then we'll see how we respond from here. Father God. As we look at Peter, as we see Peter, we cannot, be, we cannot fail but to be drawn to how wonderful you are. We see Peter failing in the garden, and yet we see how we have all failed and fallen short of the glory of God. We see how we all have gone astray. And yet in the example of Peter, we see the wonder of your grace. And the wonder of your saving work on the cross. The wonder of the restoration that it brings. Lord, as we look, we can see, yes, we can see our ultimate need of you. So, Lord, I pray that you would come and work in us. Lord, that we would never come to a place of thinking, I've got it sorted. I've got, I I can stand in this on my own. No, Lord, we always need you. We always need to keep coming to you, to keep bringing our requests and our confession and and all of that in prayer. Because we are totally dependent on you, Lord. But Lord, we are overwhelmed by the wonder that there can be forgiveness. That we can be saved. Lord, as you've reinstated Peter so lovingly. So wonderfully Lord, you come and work in us. Oh Lord. Amen. Let's stand the thing together.